From Washington, I'm David Schultz, and this is Talking Tax. There's a new acronym everyone is talking about in college athletics. No, it's not NCAA. It's NIL. That stands for Name, Image, and Likeness, and it refers to the new changes to amateurism rules in college sports that allow athletes to make money on their, well, name, image, and likeness. In the wake of these rule changes, so-called NIL collectives sprung up. It was a way to spread around the potential endorsement money. These collectives were initially thought of as nonprofits who could even accept donations from fans who wanted to support their team's student-athletes. But not anymore. A few weeks ago, the IRS issued a memo saying these NIL collectives do not qualify for 501c3 nonprofit status, which means many of them will have to start operating as businesses. That's turned out to be a big business opportunity for today's guest, Aiden Sayel, CEO and co-founder of the company Mogul. Mogul provides all-in-one software to help manage the NIL licensing process, not just for athletes, but also for brands, universities, and yes, for collectives. Sayel spoke with Bloomberg tax reporter Aaron Slowey about what this new IRS decision means for his business and for college athletics writ large. And he started off by talking about how things are playing out right now in the NIL world. The ripple effects are still being kind of observed um, as collectives really work to understand what this means for their business and potentially restructure. But just to kind of summarize what effectively the IRS was saying here is that donations made to name, image, and likeness collectives served too much private interest of the student-athletes and not enough public interest to qualify for nonprofit tax-exempt status. So effectively, what we're seeing here now is the majority of collectives that were structured as nonprofits are now restructuring to for-profit entities, typically as an LLC, given the fact that most of those donations and most of the inherent value that they were providing to donors is no longer available to them. What this means from a mogul perspective is that collectives really need to build businesses and organizations that are much more sustainable at their core, whether that be through sponsorships, activations, and ultimately driving value to those donors, or in this case, in many cases, members now as they build out exclusive offerings, community packages, subscription packages. And it provides major tailwinds for Mogul's software offerings and our service offerings because we really work as a dedicated activation and sponsorship partner with collectives and help them to create value for the local businesses, the corporate sponsors, and these donors that they work with. Can you also talk a little bit about like the type of data that the software holds and like why it's important to like the different athletes, universities, NIL collectives? Absolutely. Yeah. So just to kind of give an overview of the software, right? So our collective software enables name, image, and likeness collectives to manage their operations and streamline um, everything that they're doing from a day-to-day perspective. So what that means is they can use Mogul to send opportunities to athletes, manage communications with them, verify fulfillment of completed tasks, facilitate payments, automate the disclosures, and automate the tax documentation that's necessary at the end of the year. You mentioned tax forms. What tax forms does the software kind of help in terms of like student athletes and maybe other organizations that are a part of the platform? 
Yeah, so student athletes are 1099 NEC um, employees. So effectively what that means is that if you earn over $600 in compensation in a given year, you need to file taxes and then the form that you need to file is a 1099 NEC form. So what we do at Mogul, because all of our payments are processed directly through ACH Wire um, via an integrated payment processing system, is we automate the provision of those 1099 forms. So the athletes at the end of the year automatically receive them. And then we also provide guidance and education on how to submit your taxes or file your taxes. Um, So that's what we automate. I know we talked about in the beginning kind of how the NIL collective industry is being reshaped with the recent IRS announcement. Can you talk a little bit about like what does that mean for the future of the NIL industry and what does it mean for athletes as well? You touched on a little bit, but could you talk a little bit more about it? Yeah. um, With regards to the future of the NIL industry and how this IRS memo really impacts the future of college athlete um, sponsorships and payments and the future of collectives, it's going to be really fascinating to see how collectives evolve and innovate um, and restructure their businesses. We've already seen some really awesome examples of collectives starting to really work as local marketing agencies and sponsorship arms and some really innovative examples of how collectives have figured out ways to provide unique value to those donors, whether it be through unique membership perks, exclusive events, autograph signings, things like that. But what's going to be really, really interesting as well is if we see a marked decrease in the overall number of donations to collectives because of the um, removal of that tax-exempt status. What it's too early to tell right now is if the majority of these donors were donating to collectives purely for the tax-exempt status or because they truly want to support student-athletes and support their fandom. So that remains to be seen. What's also going to be really fascinating as this entire industry evolves is a lot of people think that this will actually result in NIL and the broader industry becoming more what people expected it to be which is like true sponsorships, true activations with local businesses and engagement with fans, and the collectives really being kind of an engine for that. Um, So Mogul partners and obviously provides them the software to do that. So this could be a pretty marked transition into what people originally thought NIL would be used for. And from the university perspective, like, what do you hear from universities who are interested from your software? And obviously, we're saying athletes being able to use their name, image, and likeness, monetize from it, is a new phenomenon. Like, what are you hearing on the university side when you talk to them about your platform? Yeah. um, So, what really excites universities about our software is that not only does it connect their student athletes to over 2,000 national brands, but it also automates the compliance reporting and monitoring for the university. So following the IRS memo, actually, the importance of compliance has really been increased in this landscape because universities really need to have visibility into what their collectives are doing, how much they're paying their student athletes, and they need evidence that there's been an exchange of services in the case or the chance of an IRS audit. So in terms of how the software works, if there is an audit by a university or NIL collective, they would just be able to go to your software and pull everything they need, theoretically? How does does that work? 
Exactly. Yeah. So if the IRS were to audit an individual collective, all that the collective or the university compliance office would need to do is go into Mogul, download the payment history, and download all of the evidence of um, exchange of services, and then easily communicate and provide that data back to the IRS. Um, because the challenge with the broader industry right now and why the IRS audit is such a huge threat is that the majority of activity is not being disclosed. And in most cases, there isn't easily accessible evidence that there's been an exchange of services for compensation. So that's what Mogul automates. Um, so student athletes don't have to submit disclosures. University compliance doesn't have to be worried whether or not you know they're getting all of the disclosures. And the uh, proof is completely uh, automated as well. Something I like to ask everyone that I talk to is like, is there something that keeps you up at night in the NIL industry? It kind of help, help gives us a temperature as to what people are thinking about. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been a lot of evolution and education in the NIL industry. But some of the things that are still concerning to us from a mogul perspective is that student athletes are still in many cases being taken advantage of, um, whether it be through long-term brand contracts that limit their ability to then monetize their NIL in other cases, um, primarily through exclusivity clauses or you know, contracts that they've signed with NIL agents that really aren't driving value for them um, and perhaps don't have their best interests at heart. So the reason why Mogul was built was truly to democratize access to sponsorships and brand deals for all athletes. We don't take a single percentage of their deal, and they earn everything that the brand um, has, has budgeted for them. So that remains something that you know, is still an important area for us to continue to educate the industry on, is really what to look out for in contracts and ultimately that you don't need an agent in order to get NIL deals. So I would say that's a big piece of it. Secondarily as well, obviously you might be aware that international student athletes can't currently monetize their name, image, and likeness in the same way that domestic student athletes can. They can only monetize in cases where the work was done on their home soil. And that's just really unfortunate to us. So we're constantly trying to figure out unique ways to help support international student athletes as well. That was Aiden Sayel, CEO and co-founder of the company Mogul, speaking with Bloomberg Taxes, Aaron Slowey. And that's it for today's podcast. You can find up-to-the-minute news and the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Meg Shreve is our editor from Washington. I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. I felt like I was in jail every day when I was going to work. I'm like, I got to get out of here. My executive order calls on the FTC to ban or limit non-compete agreements. Let workers choose who they want to work for. This season on Uncommon Law. We're exploring one of the most expansive Federal Trade Commission proposals in modern history, a nationwide ban on non-compete clauses. Non-compete clauses can really restrict competition. They can be coercive. They can be exploitative. We'll talk to workers who were desperate to take new jobs in their industry, only to be blocked by threat of a lawsuit. I remember getting served my cease and desist and thinking that this can't be right. This can't be fair. How can she get away with this? And we'll talk to the business owners who say they depend on these clauses 
to keep their companies afloat. I think like with anything else, when you enter into an agreement, there are rules and you decide if you want to participate in that or not. I just believe that there should be some protections for small businesses like myself that are already in a very competitive industry. Plus, does the FTC under chair Lena Khan even have the power to pass this rule? Look, Congress gave the FTC the authority to check unfair methods of competition. There is no limit to what Khan thinks she may be able to achieve if she can label it an unfair method of competition. Lena Khan is not coming out of nowhere. It really is the natural progression of the insights that we have about how harmful non-competes are on our markets. Join us as we explore the far-reaching implications of this proposal and the likely court battle that could shape the future of the American workforce. That's this season on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.